Aren't you guys excited for what the Lord's doing here in our church? I am. I'm thrilled. Anybody got any New Year's resolutions? Nope. Who said nope? Was that you again? <laughs> got, got a couple back here. Anybody, anybody want to lose weight in 2024? <laughs> hey, yeah, man, come on. I, hey, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. Anybody, anybody want to drink more water out of their Stanley Cup in 2024? Yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand, Kristen. <laughs> um, what about save money? Anybody wanting to save money? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And anybody wanting to be more generous with their money? Yeah. Everybody raise your hand. Yeah. Uh, anybody wanting to quit maybe an unhealthy addiction from tobacco to complaining to, yeah, yeah. Right? Awesome. The rest of you guys, um, either your life, you're, you're, you've just arrived, right? You don't need any. You're, I'm good enough like I am. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Now, some people uh, love resolutions. Some people have uh, been a little jaded by them because they've made them, and then February always gets here, right? And <laughs> things start changing, and the Reese's peanut butter cups start looking a little tastier, and the gym starts getting a little too crowded. I went on the first day of January to the gym, and there was hardly anybody there. I guess they all stayed up too late the night before. I was in bed by like 9.30 on December 31st. That's just how I roll. But then I went back on, the, on, on January 2nd, on Tuesday, and I, it was so packed I almost left. So I'm just waiting for February for all those uh, go-getters to go ahead and go on home. Amen? Don't say amen to that. That was bad. That was bad preaching. Um, I want to challenge you to, to something this morning. And I'm just going to pretend like today is the first day of the year because today is the first day of the rest of your life. And, and I, want to, I don't want to offer a challenge to you. And it's going to seem a little simplistic on its base level. But I want to encourage you, starting today, if you haven't already made this decision within yourself, that in 2024 that you are going to go all in with Jesus all year long. That you're just going to go ahead and make up your mind right now that God, whatever you have for me, whether it is something good and something that, that I'm looking forward to, or maybe it's something difficult that I need to either stop or to start or to pick up or to put down, that Lord, I want to find myself in the center of your your will, the center of your presence, being the man or the woman that you have exactly called me to be. I wonder if there's just anyone in the room that says, you know what, I'll take up that challenge right now, even before I hear the rest of the sermon. we got four of you ready to go, the rest of you. Okay, all right, now it's my job through the rest of this message to convince everyone else to jump in as well. And that's okay, because I've been thinking about this for the better part of a month, so hopefully I can communicate my heart in such a way that will encourage you and inspire you as well to go all in with Jesus in 2024. Go to in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to start reading at verse 22. In Matthew 14, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. If you were to count the women and children, it's probably closer to around 20,000 people that he is fed with nothing more than a few pieces of bread and some fish. And he divided it and gave it to his disciples. Then his disciples went out and gave it. And 
in the neighborhood, uh, conservatively 12,000, more accurately, probably 20,000 people, the Bible tells us, ate until they were full, and then they picked up a whole bunch of baskets of leftovers. And then, as we read here in verse 22, and if you'll stand as we read the word together this morning, in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Talking about the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on to the water. Now, how many of you know that the other 11 disciples right now are looking at Peter cross-eyed saying, what are you doing, man? Number one, you're crazy. Number two, are you trying to make us look bad? He said, tell me to come out there to you if it's really you. In verse 29, Jesus said, Come. I believe the Lord is saying to each of us today, if you want to, come. The water is not just right. The wind is blowing. The waves are big. The difficulties are there and they are real. But if you will come out into the water of the unknown, you will find Jesus in a way like you've never found him before. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water and came to Jesus. Now, unfortunately for Peter, that's not where his part of the story ends, right? You see, if you go and you read Mark's account of this story, the entire part of Peter walking on water is completely left out. And the reason why I believe, now this isn't in the Bible, and, and so the reason why I believe that's completely left out is because Mark's gospel was actually sourced from Peter's stories and sermons. And so when Peter tells the story of Jesus walking on water, he's like, you know what, I'm going to leave that part out because I don't want people to know I sank. Right, and then and then we know John and Peter. They were they were rivals, man. And if you don't believe that, just go read John's uh, talk about when Jesus rose from the dead and how he outran Peter. John says we both ran, but I got there first. Right? How petty is that? And so when John talks about Jesus walking on the water, John's like, you know what? I ain't gonna tell him what Peter did. That little joker gets enough credit as it is anyway. And so here Matthew is like, you know what, I don't care, so I'm going to tell it like it happened. That's what I think. And, and so he said to Peter, come, out, uh, come. and then uh, so Peter got out of the boat, walked on water, came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, thank you so much 
for your word. I pray that it will do the work that only it can do in our lives, God, that we would be transformed, not conformed, but transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us through your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And Lifehouse said, amen. 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 You can be seated. As we read this story, I want you to, to think of the boat that Peter and the disciples were in as uh, a place of safety and security. Now, these boats were not incredibly large boats. They would normally be able to hold around 20 different people. Uh, most likely, this was a common fishing boat of the day. And for these men, they were very familiar with living on the sea, living out of boats. They were fishermen. And even the ones who weren't fishermen would have used boats very regularly to get from point A to point B. And so this boat that Peter is in, and Peter was a fisherman, and he sees Jesus. And first of all, they think he's a ghost, right? And Jesus says, it's not a ghost, it's me. I'm right here. And Peter, if you, have you ever said something? Anybody in the room besides me ever say something? And then you look at yourself, kind of like metaphorically speaking, and you go, what did I just say? Does anybody, it happens to me every Sunday between 9 and 1 p.m., 9 a.m. and 1 p.m., yeah. What did you just say? It happens to me all the time, right? It happens to me all the time outside of Sundays too. Can I just tell you the truth right there? What did I just say? And so Peter says to Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out there with you. And I have to imagine in my mind that not only are the other disciples looking at Peter like he's an idiot, but Peter is looking at himself like, oh my goodness, what did I just get myself into? And then Jesus gives this incredibly surprising response. Now, I would imagine that if I were Jesus, you know, thank God I'm not, right? That I would have been like, hold on a minute, I'll be over there in just a second. But Jesus tells, to, tells Peter, come on, big boy. Let's see what you got. Get out of the boat and come on. And, and when I think of this boat, I think of it as a place of familiarity, of stability, a place that Peter, as well as the other disciples, know very well. They understand the intricacies of the boat. They know how to work the boat. Even though there's a storm outside of the boat, they are working the wind. They are working the waves. They are biding their time until the storm dies down so that they can get to the other side of the lake. And Peter says this crazy thing, Lord, where you are, that's where I want to be. Now, that's not the exact quote, but that's the heart behind his statement. Lord, if it's you, tell me to go. Tell me to come to where you are. Because I'm in the boat right now, and the boat is safe, and the boat is secure, and the boat is familiar, and the boat is comfortable, and the boat is known. But out there on the other side of the boat, there is a storm raging. There are waves crashing. There is wind blowing. But more than all of that, that's where you are. And so if that's where you are, despite the storm and then despite the comfort of the boat, God, that's where I want to be. And I just wonder today if in Lifehouse Church, if there's any men or women of God who are sick and tired of living in the familiarity of the boat that has got us this far. And, 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 and sick and tired of just getting through life. And sick and tired of taking it easy. Taking it comfortable. And living in the complacency that is so 
easy to fall victim to. And who would have the courage to say, Jesus, if that's you, yeah, if that's you in the storm, yeah, if that's you in the unfamiliarity, if that's you in the unknown, call me to yourself because it may be easier right here, but it'll be better where you are. You see, we give Peter a lot of flack because he sunk, right? And I mean, I've preached this before. I've preached it here before. Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts walking to Jesus, and then the wind's blowing, and the waves are crashing, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, right? And, you know, we preach the message, you know, keep your focus on Jesus. And it's a great sermon. It's a great message that we can take away from that. And so we kind of beat up on Peter a little bit. Because he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And I love that word that Matthew uses. Immediately, Jesus reached down and he picked him up. We give him a lot of flack, though, because he sunk. But the thing that's interesting to me is he was the only one who had the courage to get out of the boat in the first place. Right? Here's Here's something else that you need to think about. If you climb out, of whatever your boat is. Now, we're talking in metaphors right now. I think you all understand that. If you climb out of your boat of safety and security, if you climb out of your boat of familiarity, and you say, Lord, here's something else that you need to understand too. Mark is is telling this story from Peter's perspective, and he actually tells the reader, he says, Jesus was going to walk on by us. He was just going to keep going because his goal was to get to the other side. And we would have gotten there eventually, maybe. But, but Peter stops him. And he says, I see you going. I, I, want, to go, I want to go where you're going. So, so here, here's the point. That we've all been called to follow Jesus. But what often happens along the way of us following Jesus. You know, I talked earlier when I opened the service about I love the songs of the late 90s and the early 2000s because they remind me what it felt like to have first fallen in love with Jesus. They remind me of those feelings that I had when I first gave my life to Christ and He changed me, He delivered me, He saved me, He transformed me. I just love it. That's why I love those songs. That's why I love uh, that, that CCM music that a lot of us make fun of today, but I still it has a special place in my heart. But you know what happens a lot of times in our lives is the longer we follow Jesus, right, the longer we follow him, the easier it is to find places along the way to set up camp and to stop because we found something that we want to hold on to. We we find a place of comfort. We find a place of complacency. We find a place of familiarity. And Jesus is continuing to walk, and we're supposed to be following him, you know, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus, right? But it's so easy along the way of following him to get sidetracked by these things that call us away from him. And so in Mark's account of this story, Jesus was going to go walking on past them, but Peter calls out to him. And so Peter climbs out of the boat, and he does sink for a little while. But what's so beautiful about Peter's story that I want you to see for yourself today is that if you climb out of your boat of familiarity and security, you might sink, you might walk, you might have to swim, but what is absolutely certain is that you'll find Jesus there. 
I want to say it again because I don't, I don't feel like it's resonating the way it should. If you will make the, the intentional decision to, to step out of what has been easy, to step out of where... Man, can I just be practical for some of you? In all sincerity, and I'm not trying to make light of this, for some of you, it might just be as simple as lifting hands in worship for you. That might be your first step out of the boat because you've been coming to this church for a while and you think, man, there's a bunch of crazy people here. They sing really loud and they lift hands and they shout and they jump and they get excited. Well... Let me just tell you, if you'll, if you'll begin to open yourself up to responding to God in a physical way, He will begin to respond to you in a spiritual way. He'll begin to do something in you. And so maybe for some of you, it's just lifting your hands in worship. For some of you, maybe it's actually taking the time for the first time in your life to, to go get a Bible and to read it for yourself instead of just listening to what somebody else has to say on a Sunday morning for 45 minutes and, and, and taking time to read the Word. For some of you, maybe it's taking time daily to pray, not just trying to pray a few things before you go to sleep at night, but setting your alarm up early in the morning so that you can get up and seek His face. For some of you, maybe it's sharing your faith at work. You, you, you want to talk about Jesus, but you're so intimidated by people. And I want to remind you, I want to tell you today that when you are intimate with the Lord, then you will not be intimidated by people. Because that Spirit of God will give you courage. It will give you boldness to share your faith, to share the good news of Jesus. And so for some of you, we're not talking about you know huge things all the time. Maybe for you it might be big, but but it might just be something small, just a step towards where Jesus is. And yeah, it might be uncomfortable. It might be difficult. And you may even sink, but you will find Jesus there. Come on, can we give him another praise offering this morning? And I don't like this about Jesus because I wish it was different. But he won't kick you out of the boat. Sometimes I wish God would just make me do the right things. Like, it, my life would be so much easier if he would just make me do what he's called me to do instead of giving me choice. But he doesn't. That's why there were two trees in the garden. Because if there was only one tree, humanity wouldn't have been given a choice. And that's not love, that's being a robot, right? Jesus won't kick you out of the boat. He won't force you out of the comfort. You can spend the rest of your life in the boat. And yeah, you, you can be a good little Christian. You can live in the safety of what is known and familiar and easy. Or you can get out of the boat and you can discover him in a brand new, exciting way. It has to be your decision. My scripture for the year, and I've, I've never shared these publicly before, but it's a little different this year. Usually it's something like motivational, like about how I'm going to be a better person or how I'm going to, I don't know, pray more, do more, be a better pastor. But this year, I just felt very drawn to what Psalm 37, 4 says. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But you know, here's the catch. When the Lord becomes your delight, He becomes the desire of your heart. We all think that, you know, if I'll, if I'll put Jesus first, we, we quote Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. And so if, if we're not careful, God just becomes a means to our desired end. Lord, I want, I want my family to be healthy. I want my bills to be paid. I want money in my bank account. I want my roof to not leak. I want my car to start. And so, God, I'm going to seek you because if I don't seek you, then you may get me. Can I just tell you, that's a terrible way. To approach faith in Christ. That's not faith in Christ. That's faith in Santa Claus. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in you, and then I'm going to give you my wish list, and you're going to bring me all the toys I want. You okay? You all right? That's not how it works. That's not how a relationship with God works. No, a relationship with God works this way. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's how a relationship with God works. Not, I'm going to pray a little prayer and then I'm going to tell you all the things I want. And because I've been a good little boy or a good little girl, you're going to give me all the stuff I like. You okay? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. But when He becomes your delight, He also becomes your desire. And so that's, been my, that's my prayer for myself. That's my scripture for myself for 2024. Because can I just be real with you for a little bit? For too long, too much of my life, I've been satisfied with lesser things. Too much of my life has been lived in the safety of the boat, the safety of what is comfortable, the safety of what is familiar. But Jesus has made me, he's made you, he's made us to walk on water, not to live in a boat. Now, obviously, I'm using metaphors, but I think you understand what I'm talking about here. Everybody with me? C.S. Lewis said, and C.S. Lewis is an author from the early to mid-1900s. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Anybody familiar with Chronicles of Narnia? He wrote uh, Mere Christianity, the Screwtape Letters, The Great Divorce, several other awesome works of literature and theology. He basically said that our problem isn't that we as humans are too hard to please, that our problem as humans is that we're too easy to please. That we're, that we're too easy to find something that may not be what we truly desire, but it will work in a pinch. Right? And so this is what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. That we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see... Every so often at the Moorhead house, we buy and eat steak. Sounding pretty good for tonight, the more I talk about it. But we've already got a meal planned. We're sticking to it. <laughs> it's in the calendar. We like to eat steak. Now, I've got three, I've got three kids. And I don't know about you, if you've, how, how many kids you, you have, or a lot of people in the room right now, but Here's, what, here's my philosophy on, on having kids. The first one, you don't know what you're doing. They're raising you just as much as you're raising them. Right? The second one comes along, you're full of pride because you think you figured something out. But you didn't. You're crazy. Because that one's completely different than the first one. Right? It's the, everything you thought you knew because you had one kid, the second one comes in and just a completely different person. With their own things. Right? And so, so then you have your third kid, and you figured it out, and they're perfect, and they're your favorite. <laughs> and then if you have any more after that, listen, you need to go to the doctor. You're having too many kids. <laughs> I'm just kidding, sort of. But every so often, we have, we have steak at our house, and I love steak. I'm a, I'm a red meat guy, man. You, red meat and bacon. And, and, and anyway, I don't need to talk about that. Some of y'all are trying to fast right now. I'm going to help make you break it. But I, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cook steak. And my youngest child, Magnolia, she, she wants steak. You know why? Because she's awesome. 
my oldest child is right here, just so you guys are aware of the having fun right now. Olivia's in here with me. And, but do you know what Olivia and Julia want to eat instead of steak? Instead of ribeye, instead of prime Angus grade ribeye, you know what they want? Not chicken nuggets, they'll eat that too. But you know what they want? They want a hot dog. I'm going to make them watch a video on how hot dogs are made. They, I'd be okay if I never ate another hot dog in my life. Right? Listen, I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm just saying there's a lot of things better than hot dogs. Okay? And can I just tell you? Come on. You, know, you see where this is going. So many of us are so easily satisfied with something less than what God truly has for us. Right? That's why the scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. But too many of us, we have been ruining our appetites by eating and partaking of the things of this world that on the surface they may look good and they may fill a void, but they never give you what he wants to give you. Come on, can we celebrate the Lord one more time? Jesus will not kick you out of the boat. Olivia, Jesus won't make you eat steak. I might. But Jesus won't. I mean, listen, you're saving us money, I guess, without a hot dog. You're still crazy, though. I love you. Jesus won't kick you out of the boat, but he is inviting you into deeper waters. To each and every one of us this morning, he is saying, come, come. And it's not easy. The water is not just right. The storm is raging, but it will be worth it. And the closer you get to him, the more you begin to see Jesus for who he really is. When they got back to the boat, even though Jesus had already fed all these thousands of people, and you would think that, you know, if you can multiply some, some rolls and some fish, that that would, that would speak pretty highly of who you are. But it's when Jesus walks on water and then calms the storm with his voice. And the Bible tells us that then they exclaimed, and they worshiped and they exclaimed, truly you are the Son of God. Um, anybody doing the Bible recap uh, right now with our church family? Yeah, it's a fantastic study. I did it, I did it last year, and uh, I did, hadn't really heard much about it. It's a lot more popular this year than, than it was last year. And so I'm, I'm so happy that you guys are doing it. Um, I've got a degree in ministry and, and Bible and theology, but doing the Bible recap just really brought to life the Scriptures in a way like I have never seen before. Especially, you know, I was talking about the book of Job and, and I mean this sincerely, every time I've ever read Job, I've read it because I felt like I needed to read it. But as I read through Job along with the Bible recap and, and the author was able to bring things out from the scriptures that I may have glossed over or missed, it just brought it to life. And I really appreciated that, so I'm happy that you guys are doing that. Um, but last year, especially in December, I got, I got behind. Can I just be honest with you? I got behind in my Bible reading. Anybody ever done that before? Some of y'all, it's January 7th. Some of y'all are behind right now. That's okay. Just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> Don't stop. Just, just keep going. Well, I got behind. I mean, I got really behind because on December 31st, I had to read, or rather, I got to read the, all of Hebrews, uh, uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, 2 Timothy, and Revelation all in one day. And I did it. Dude, my wife was like, what are you doing? 
We didn't have church, so I just read the Bible all day. I had church, y'all. After I left Home Depot and my wife installed the garbage disposal, I had church. And I really, I mean, I don't recommend that necessarily as a daily practice because it pretty much dominates your entire day. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the, the focus that it gave me in reading it. Uh, and to be fair, I gleaned more from the scripture reading that day than I did most days when I would just read a few chapters. And as I was reading Revelation, um, I, I got emotional, sincerely, as I began to just feel the presence of, uh, presence of the Lord minister to me. And just a few things about Revelation. First of all, about Revelation, there's only one Revelation. It's not Revelations. There's only one. There's only one. Second thing about Revelation, it's not a book of mystery. It's a book of <clears throat> Revelation. Right? A lot of people think, I can't understand. I don't, you know, it's, it's all this mystery. And I'm like, no, it's, it's actually Revelation. It's, you may not understand the Revelation, but it's Revelation, right? And it's not just a revelation of the end times. I would argue that even more than that, it's a revelation of who Jesus is. It's a revelation of who he really is. And as I read it, in reading it cover to cover, it, it, it just ministered to me in a way like it had never done before. And I recommend it, even if it's not part of your January 7th reading plan. And it stirred my heart to repentance because I began to see Jesus more and more for who he is and less and less for who I've made him to be. And the more I began to see Jesus for who he really is, the more I began to see myself for who I really am. Which led me to realize that I am a person who is often too easily satisfied by lesser things of this world than the things of God. Someone who is often too easily seduced by the safety of the boat than someone who is in awe of Jesus and follows him with reckless abandon. And, I, and I, I've known this, but I am continuing to learn this and will continue to learn this until I see him face to face. That the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you're not like him. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you want to be like him, but the more you realize that you are not like him. And what it does is it creates a holy cycle. And this is a beautiful thing of revelation. And I'm not talking about the book, but I'm talking about seeing Jesus for who he is. And then as you begin to see him for who he is, you begin to see yourself for who you are, which leads you to repentance, right? Which then leads you to renewing your life and committing your life to Christ, which then can lead to revival. And, and to be fair with you, that cycle doesn't stop, but it continues. Because whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, if you were continuing to get out of the boat, if you were continuing to follow Jesus, you will continually realize more and more things in your life that you either need to lay down at his cross or to pick up at his commands. And what I'm saying is this, you know, I'm, I'll be 39 in a couple of months and, and if trends serve correctly, by the time I'm 49, if, if I live that long and if Jesus doesn't return in clouds of glory, amen, if, if, if by the time in 10 years from now, there will be less things in my life that I am able to do without conviction and there will be more things because of, the, of my love for Jesus and more importantly, Jesus' love for me that I have picked up and said, God, I will carry this and I will follow you and I will chase after 
after you. There are things that I could do when I was 20 years old. There are jokes that I could say. There are places that I could go. There were movies that I could watch. There was music that I could listen to that here today, I just can't do that anymore. Not because it's sin for you, but because in my heart, the Holy Spirit is grieved and I don't want there to be any barrier between Him, His presence, and me. And so for, for many of us, getting out of the boat sometimes is saying, God, I've been living this way or I've been doing this thing. And you might tell a friend, hey, I'm going to give this up. I'm gonna, I, I knew a man. I almost don't want to tell you this because I'm afraid some of y'all are going to do it and be irritable about it. But I knew a man who wouldn't drink caffeine, wouldn't drink coffee, wouldn't drink soda. Wouldn't even, he's from Mississippi and he wouldn't even drink sweet tea. Never heard of such a thing. Now, I want to tell you, I ain't there yet. Now, by the time I'm 50, it may happen. I don't know. I hope not, but maybe. But I asked him about it. He said, I just felt a long time ago that I don't need to put anything in my body that has any control over me than, except for the Holy Spirit. I said, praise God, I don't feel that way. <laughs> At least not yet. There's a Red Bull sitting right over there in my seat. Sugar-free, right? Because, you know, I'm watching the calories. But I'm just telling you that the longer you follow him, and I don't know, I actually shouldn't say that because that's not true. The longer you follow him, truly follow him. Not just Christian in name only, not just the guy in the boat, not just the lady in the boat saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Me and God are good. Jesus is my homeboy. I hate that stuff. No, I'm talking about my life, but my life is hidden in Christ. I have been crucified. Jesus lives. I am dead to myself. I don't have any rights because I belong to Jesus. I have been bought with a price. I have been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have the right to get offended anymore. I don't have the right to lose my temper. I don't have the right to be a jerk. I don't have the right to be selfish. I don't have the right to have it my way. I don't even have the right to set my own schedule because my life is hidden in Christ. And so whatever demand he makes upon me, it is my job to be submissive and obedient to that. And I want you to understand that if you're not careful, you'll think that's a bad thing. You'll think that's a hard thing. And, and it is difficult. But can I tell you, my friend, it is so worth it. Because if you will give up yourself, you get Jesus. It says, Jesus tells us in Matthew 16 that if you try to save your life, and, and he's not talking about like not get killed. What he means is if you try to hold on to the things that you have deemed that define your life, that, that bring joy to your life, that bring comfort to your life, if you try to hold on to those things, even though Jesus has said to lay them down at his feet, he says you'll lose your life. But if you'll give up your life for my sake, then you will find life. See, it's, it doesn't make sense to our human brains, which is why you have to be changed mentally and spiritually by the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary ways that you are transformed is by the renewing of your mind, which primarily happens when you spend more time in this word than you do other things that would like to take up place in your brain. You guys okay? I'm preaching better this time than I did first service. I'm, I don't know if you're happy about it or not. 
Maybe not better, just longer. (laughs) Revelation, repentance, renewal, revival. Revelation, repentance, renewal, revival. And some of you are sitting here right now, and you don't care. You don't have a heart for the Lord. You're satisfied. Or maybe even worse than being satisfied, you're just melancholy about it. You just don't care. You just don't have an opinion. And I just want to encourage you. For, I don't want to discourage you because can I, if I can be real with you, I've been there too. But I would encourage you to make it your prayer, Lord, that you would change my desires. That you would give me a desire for you. That you would change my heart. That you would change my thinking. And pray in faith, believing that God, who loved you and gave himself for you, will work in you and transform your desires to reflect the desires that he wants you to have. Does that make sense? So, anyway, reading Revelation. If you, if you read through it, you'll read about the seven churches that Jesus speaks to. Uh, you got churches uh, like uh, Smyrna, Philadelphia, and then the one that I want to camp out on right now is Laodicea. Jesus says this in Revelation 3, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, this is Jesus speaking to John, the revelator who was going to send these letters to these seven different churches. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words, uh, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says in verse 15, I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. Would you, or would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How many of you have heard sermons preached on this passage before? I've heard more than I can count. You see... There's more to it than being on fire for the Lord. That's how I've heard it most of the time, right? You want to be hot. You want to be on fire, right? That's not the point of the, what's being said right here that Jesus is saying. You see, Laodicea was a real city that had a church. And Jesus, as he is telling John to write these things, is using illustrations to call them out that they will understand. And so Jesus says to them, tell them that they're not cold or hot, that they're just lukewarm. And because they're lukewarm, I'm going to spit them out of my mouth. Well, the Laodiceans get this, and they understand exactly what Jesus is saying to them. You see, in a nearby city called Hierapolis, there were hot springs. And so, have you ever heard of the Roman aqueducts? Anybody ever heard of that? They were almost as popular as the Roman roads. And so what they did is, from Hierapolis, they would use aqueducts to pipe in this hot spring, these hot springs, this hot medicinal, mineral-rich water into Laodicea. But the problem was that by the time it got to Laodicea, it it would have cooled down. Because it was, you know, far away from Heropolis. And then in nearby Colossae, they had mountains. And they would, they would pipe in this water from the mountains. So the aqueducts that would be cold and refreshing. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it would already be warmed up. It would have turned into sort of like room temperature water. And, and Jesus is telling them, he says, just like the waters from Heropolis and just like the waters of Colossae, they flow all into the city. And by the time they get there, they are not what they were intended to be. That's what you're like, both lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, neither fulfilling their intended purpose. Why does the water show up lukewarm instead of hot or cold? Because it's so far away from its source. 
Remember, Peter stopped Jesus. Jesus was going to keep on walking. But Peter said, hey, 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 you're my source. I don't want to be any further away from you than I have to be right now. Even if, even if I have to get out of this boat, Jesus, I want to come to where you are because you're my source and I want to be near my source. John and, and, and Thomas and the other disciples looking at Peter like he's crazy. Man, what are you doing? And Peter, even though he may not have understood what he was saying in the moment, what he was saying is, I don't care what hell I have to walk through. If that's where Jesus is, that's where I want to be because he is the source of life. I want to be near him. Many of us today, we're lukewarm in our faith. We're complacent in our faith because we're living too far away from our source. Jesus goes on and he says in Revelation 3.17, For you say I'm rich. Uh, You say I've prospered. I don't need anything. Not realizing that you are actually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is saying that in your distance from me, you have forgotten just how much you need me. That's why some of us today, we need to make it our prayer that, Lord, that you would help me to want to want you. That you would change my desire to reflect you. Because so many of us think our lives are great because our bills are paid and our kids are doing okay. And our roof isn't leaking and we've got the things we want and we're relatively healthy. But the problem with that is that if we're not careful, it leads us to a life of complacency where we don't value the presence of God. We don't value the purposes of God for our life because we don't think we need Him. Jesus says, I need you to remember just how much you do need me. Here's the the good news. Verse 19, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Because of his love for us, he disciplines us. He confronts us with our complacency, with our play it safe, stay in the boat lifestyle. You know, his discipline towards us is evidence of his love for us. You, you want to know how you can know if a parent actually loves their child? It's not because they buy them nice things. It's not because they give them nice things. It's not because they let them do things. You want to know if a parent really loves their child? Ask yourself, do they discipline their child? Do they love their child enough to inconvenience themselves? Because listen, if you've ever disciplined your child, unless you're a psychopath, it's not easy. And it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Even though sometimes they think it is for you. It's not. It's hard work. It takes something out of you. It takes a toll in you because you don't want to cause pain. You don't want to to bring up hard things. But because you love your child and because you are investing in their life, not just for right now, but for who they're becoming, you discipline them. Your Father in Heaven is the same way. He disciplines you, not because He's mad at you, but because He's mad for you, because He loves you. Because he cares. And how does he discipline us? Through his word and through his spirit. He confronts our complacency. And he says, why are you still living here when I've called you to go there? Why are you still living in the boat when I've made you to walk on water? Yeah, it's risky. But it's worth it. Yeah, you may have to leave some stuff behind. You may have to give some stuff up. 
You may have to rearrange your priorities in life. You may have to sell some stuff. You may have to buy some stuff. You may have to rearrange your calendar. You may have to drop out of some things. You may have to stop watching some shows. You may have to change the way you live. But listen, you have a choice today. It's the first Sunday of the year. You can choose today, one step at a time. I want to go all in with Jesus this year. And I would just encourage you in this way. Give it a year. Just make up your mind that I'm going to give it a year. And if your life is not radically transformed by the end of this year, then go back. Do it your way. Forget about it. But I guarantee you that if you will truly go all in with Jesus, your life will be radically transformed for the better. I'm not saying it'll be easier, but I'm saying it'll be better. I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you to be happier, but there will be more joy. There will be more peace, and there will certainly be more fruit. You guys still with me? I want to encourage you to stand. He knocks on the door of our life, offering us so much more than what we've settled for. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't pry the door open. He doesn't kick the door down, but he knocks. He gently and lovingly beckons us. And if we will respond, he will enter into our life in a beautiful, amazing way. And he will make his home in our heart. Through Jeremiah, and I'll be done real fast. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That's one of the most quoted Bible verses in Christianity today. But man, there's so much more to that passage than that one verse. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, Then, everybody say then. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when. Everybody say when. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil. Do you know what God's plan? I can tell you right now what God's plan for your life is. God's greatest plan for your life. It's not a new home. It's not a better job. It's not more kids or grandkids or, or more money. God's plan for your life above and beyond everything else is himself. Because there is no greater good than he can ever give you than himself. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take us to a point of commitment right now so we can pray together and worship together. First of all, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior and you would like to commit your life to Him today, if you are far from the Lord and you know it and you would say, God, I want to have a relationship with you right where you are right now, would you lift your hand high in the air? I see you. Is there anybody else? Lifehouse, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and giving yourself for me. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I confess you as Lord. Change me and make me your own. In your name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate this individual? a little long. I hope you'll forgive me for that, but I don't want us to leave just yet. 
today if you're saying, if you're willing to say, and I'm not, and I don't, don't just raise your hand because everyone else is doing it. I want you to think about this. Don't make a fake commitment. But if you would say to yourself, more importantly, if you would say to the Lord, Heavenly Father, this year, I want to go all in. And if that's your prayer, would you lift your hand high in the air?